in this devotional here we'd like to give away to you if, if it's your first week. And I've had some people ask me, well, I've been here a long time, but I'd like a coffee mug or a, or a devotional. And if you do, then we'll try to work with you uh, too. Just make sure you, you're patient with us. Uh, we'll try to help out that way also. If you're, uh, if you're here uh, uh, for your first week, it's a good week to come to for another reason. We're going to start a new series here uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks uh, called Fuel and, uh, and trying to think about different steps we can take to really uh, pick up our spiritual life. If we're wanting as a spiritual life to be, feel closer to God, to feel deeper with Him, to feel more power, uh, that's what this series is about, and we're going to start that here today and talk about kind of the motive uh, for it more than anything else. A couple of months ago, I, I went to the eye doctor for a vision appointment, and, um, and they told me that I, I had to go straight to Indianapolis. And uh, I'd been having these floaters, and they'd gotten worse, and, and, and I, I, had, I had a tear in my retina. When I got to Indianapolis, um, uh, they prepped me for surgery pretty quick. There wasn't a, a big break. It was really fast to go one morning thinking your day is going to go a certain way into a completely different way. And, um, and I've been with people as they go into surgery a lot through the years as a minister. And, and so I knew kind of what to expect in that whole situation. But it's a completely different animal when it's you laying down with the tubes hooked up to you, you know, than it is when you're there helping somebody else. And, uh, and as I'm laying in there, the, 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 one of the nurses comes in and uh, we need to make sure that you're aware of the risks of this surgery. And again, I've been with other people when they go through this process. And I know it's just a legal thing that we have to get out of the way. But it's intimidating to be laying there and have the, the nurse tell you, now you understand there's a 3% chance that you could get an infection, there's a 2% chance you could stroke, 1% chance you could die. Do you understand all that? And I, I like to think about myself that I've got a good poker face for this sort of thing, but I must have looked a little scared as they were going through this because the doctor jumped in at that point. He said, of course, you understand also if we don't do anything, there's a 100% chance you're going to be blind. And I said, oh, well, that makes it easier to decide, doesn't it? So you, you sign the paper. Uh, uh, that idea of, uh, of the surgery, I got to talk to the doctor a couple times since then. A lot of what they did for me isn't that old. It's, it's new procedure. Some of it's kind of old, has been around for, uh, for several decades, but a lot of it was, was really, really new stuff that they haven't, lasers and different things. In a different era, uh, it could have been a completely different experience for me. I mean, had I been... Uh, born in the 1800s or, 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 or earlier than that, almost certainly would have went blind. There probably wouldn't have been anything they could have done for me. So I guess I'm grateful to live in this time period where there's so many different resources that can, can make a big difference. In Jesus' day, when the Bible was written, blindness was a common thing. It happened a lot. I mean, there was all sorts of different infections you could get in your eyes, and, and there was no treatment for any of that. I mean, they would try different poultices and, and different things, but, I mean, there wasn't much treatment for that. And, and, and if you got a, a certain infection or if you got a certain injury, then there just wasn't any cure. Or if you had what I had, you know, just that uh, as you got older, you, your torn retina, then you just were going to go blind. And there wasn't much you could do about that. There wasn't much that the doctors, there wasn't enough uh, information, enough knowledge about it. And it was common. And we see Jesus in the Gospels talk to blind people several different times um, uh, and, and bring healing. In fact, it's one of the signs he says about himself that he's who he says he is, that he can heal the blind. And they'll talk about it. What, a, what an amazing thing. We've seen miracles before. Sometimes the priests will say, we've never seen a guy who could heal a man born blind, but Jesus can do it. Uh, he can get into whatever it is in your head and he touches it and, and everything turns around. And, and I wanted to start today talking about, and start this series actually, talking about one of those times. So here we go. Um, 
It says they came to Bethsaida. It's not showing up there, Gabe. I'm not sure if anybody knows how to fix that. If you do, great. If you don't, then I'll just turn around a lot. All right, all right, okay. Okay, they came to Bethsaida, and some of the people brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, and he led him outside the village. It says, uh, maybe, did you take control back? Oh, there you go. When he had spit on the man's eyes, and he put his eyes on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? And he looked up, the blind man did, and it says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around, right? They don't look like... Uh, uh, well, I thought they would. Now, this was my experience, too, after eye surgery uh, for the first uh, uh, couple of weeks there. People kind of looked like I, like uh, trees walking around. I mean, I would see them, and they, I could see the person was there, but it was all blurry and white, and I couldn't make anything out. And so that's what this, uh, this, uh, this, this guy thinks. And uh, I've always thought that if I started a rock band, uh, Trees Walking was going to be the name, and it was going to come from this. So it's probably too late for that, but that was my plan at one time. Anyway, so, so he says, once more, Jesus puts his hands on the guy's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Now, you could read that story as just a particularly tough case of blindness, that, uh, that uh, uh, this guy had such a hard case of blindness that Jesus needed two stabs at it to get it fixed. You know, one time wasn't quite enough. Second time he touches him, then it was all okay. And that's, that's a possible reading of it for sure. But a lot of times what Jesus does with blindness and which was a real condition for folks, is that he uses it to illustrate something that's a more spiritual thing. In the same way that you can be, be physically blind and not be able to see different things, it's also possible to be spiritually blind and miss some stuff. And, and I think what Jesus is doing here with this, with this two-stage healing is part of that. Uh, uh, and and it, goes, it leads into this next story. I mean, the very next thing after this is as his disciples went on, to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, who do people think I am? And they replied, well, some think you're uh, uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist had already been killed by this point. Some think you're John, like he'd come back. And some think that you're Elijah. Or, or and still others think you're one of the prophets. But what about you, fellas, Jesus says? Who do you think that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Or in, in Greek, you're the Christ. Uh, Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. You're the Messiah or you're the Christ. And, and Jesus warned him to just keep this quiet. Let's just keep this between us. And, and, and he began to teach him that the Son of Man, meaning himself, meaning Jesus, was going to have to suffer many things and, and be uh, rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days was going to have to rise again. So he tells him, you're right, I'm the Messiah, I'm who you're looking for, I'm the Christ, I'm the anointed king who is to come, but, but God's plan is for me to die. And he, he kind of explains it all. And when you look at this, this list here, when you see all the different ways he says you're going to suffer, I mean, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. None of it was a surprise for him. He knows exactly what's going to happen and when it happens and, and what to expect. And he's warning the disciples about that. It says he spoke plainly about it. He didn't, a lot of times Jesus would talk in parables. He would tell stories and he wouldn't get right to the point. But here he doesn't mince any words, get straight to the point. This is where we're headed. And he lets him know. And Peter takes him to the side and begins to rebuke him. Which uh, uh, is, is remarkable courage at one level by Peter. You can't believe that, he's, that he would do this. I mean, who's going to tell Jesus he's wrong? But, but, but Peter does. And, and, and I think he does it because he's got a heart for Jesus. He's got a heart for Jesus. Jesus, I don't want that to happen to you. 
you know, I don't think that needs to happen. I, I don't know why you can't go on and, and do all the great things you're doing. You're healing blind people and, and you're, you're, you're feeding people and you're, you're making things happen. I don't see any reason why we can't just keep doing that stuff. And I don't see any reason why you're going to have to die. But Jesus tells Peter, uh, he says, get behind me, Satan. And he says, you don't have in mind the things of God. You just have human concerns. Peter says the things he does because he's blind. He just can't see it. Now, he sees some stuff. He knows that Jesus is the Christ. He's got that. He's got that part figured out. In the same way, a Christian today might say, well, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. I want to go to heaven when I die. And they might say that, and they might really mean that. that that's not a, a pretend thing. They really mean it when they say it. But they might be blind about what it really is going to require. And so when they say, I'll do that, they have no idea totally what they're committing to. In the same way that, that blind man at the beginning, his eyes are healed, but then he just kind of sees trees walking, and then he's healed again, and then he can see. Sometimes uh, people don't get it right off. You know, you, you do a wedding, and, and, and the couple stands in front of the church, and they say, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, or poorer, sickness and health. And it's easy to say it on stage because the other person's not sick. And they're not poor, and they're not broken. It's harder to say it when, they're, when they are all those things, or when they're mean, or when they're obnoxious. It's harder to want to hang in there when the, the other person's not all you. And so when you're on stage in a marriage thing, it's not that you're blind, exactly, though they say love is blind. It's, it's not like you're blind, but you just don't see the whole picture, right? And sometimes people come to Jesus, and they don't really see the whole picture. They mean well. They just don't totally understand what's going to be expected here. And so, and so that's why Jesus barks at Peter there. And then he calls to the crowd. So it's not just the disciples, but there's other people following Jesus. And he gets them all there, the disciples and the crowd and everybody. And, he, and it's like he's wanting to make sure they understand the fine print. He's not wanting to sneak up on anybody. Uh, people might say, well, I want Jesus, but they don't totally understand what it's going to be. And so Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He says, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will, will save it. If you think coming to me is going to make your life easier, Jesus says, it may not. And if you're going to come to me and you want to save your life, then you've got to give it away. You've got to let go of it. You can't control it as much. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and they lose their soul? And, and what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He says, if anyone's ashamed of me and, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, son of man's going to be ashamed of them when we get to heaven. So, so the whole point of this thing is you, you, you think you understand what this is, but you don't see it. You, you'd like to pretend you understand what's going on, but a lot of people are, are blind to it. And Peter had been blind. It, it, he certainly was blind about what Jesus was going to have to go through. In our day, it's possible we could be blind to this last part. Like, okay, I know that Jesus is the Messiah, and I know that Jesus had to die for my sins, and I know all that. I got that. I see that. That makes sense to me. But do you see this other part that he talks about? You know, it's possible that he's opened your eyes enough to see that, but you don't see this other stuff. And so let's review it again. He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. So what's he talking about here? It's not deny yourself something. You know, like you could say, well, I, I see what he's saying there. I'm going to have to deny myself uh, uh, 
getting to do whatever I want to do on this thing. Or I'm going to have to deny myself maybe this job choice. Or I'm going to have to deny myself uh, this, this relationship. Or I'm going to have to deny myself. That's not what he's saying. You're going to deny yourself of being in control. That's the issue. You're going to deny yourself. You're no longer in the driver's seat. Josh told us that scripture last week. You're no longer in the driver's seat. I mean, you're going to have to give me the control of it. You, you think about, um, uh, this, there's no way I can get into this without putting some guilt on folks, and I'm not, that really isn't totally my agenda, so hang with me till the very end of this illustration. But sometimes as a, as a leader in the church, I might call somebody and say, hey, I need a favor, something we're doing at church, could you help me with this thing, or could you help me with that thing? And, and, and I'm not the only one, there's other people on staff, or other leaders in the church, elders or deacons, or, 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 or group leaders, or whatever, they might call you and say, hey, we need this help at the church, and you would say, well, I'd love to do that, but I already have, have plans. And you're certainly allowed to do that to me whenever you want. That, that's the part that's not meant to bring guilt. But, but, but I think there's a possibility that God can put stuff on your heart. I need you to do this for me. Well, how could you ever tell God that you've got plans? You can tell me that. Well, I don't know anything, but I mean, how could you ever tell God that? And so, and I think there's things sometimes that he does nudge us about. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this. And it's not about teaching Sunday school. It's about, I want you to speak to this person, or I want you to lead in this way. I want you to use your gifts. I want you to figure this out. I, I, I want you to take a step forward. And, and at some level, you, you know it. I mean, it, it, he didn't speak like in an audible voice, but you can feel it, that, that God wants me to do this. Well, how could you ever tell God that you're too busy if you've denied yourself? And Jesus says, this is part of it. If you want to come follow me, I have to be first place. He says, you've got to take up your cross. Now, in Jesus' day, this was the worst form of way of dying. It was a slow death. It was a painful death. It wasn't, it wasn't pleasant at all. There, there's really no form of execution that we do today that, 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 that communicates the same way as this would have communicated to them. There, there's just nothing else. We, we don't have anything like it. The, 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 the dead man would have to carry his crossbeam through town till they could hang it up on the cross. And, and it, it was like being a dead man walking, right? It was like being a... Uh, 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 some people will take a job at the White House and one of the conditions, if you're hired to work in the White House, is you have to hand them your letter of resignation right off. And they'll put that in the file. So if they ever want you gone, they'll pull it out and say, oh, it turns out that Chuck decided to resign today. And you just admit it up front. My whole career is in your hands, whatever you want to do with it. Well, that's what this is. You, you, you take up your cross. It, it's all his. And he says, you've got to follow me. You've got to go wherever I go. You've got to do whatever I do. And it may not always be pleasant, and it may not always be fun, and, and you may wonder sometimes if it makes sense to, to do what I want to do or, 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 to, or to take my path, but this is what you're called to. And there's no real getting out of it. You won't find any verse of Scripture that says, I want you to go to church once a week. It's not in there. It, it's just not in there. What you will find is I don't want you to forsake the assembling of each other together. And he's talking about being together. You'll find verses about I, I, don't want, I want you to, to lead each other, serve each other, be gentle to each other, forgive one another. Those are the verses you see. I, I want you to, to follow me. And following Jesus a lot of, time, a lot of times looks like uh, being Jesus in whatever situation you're in. 
Eugene Peterson says, God can't fit into our plans. This is a Eugene Peterson. He's the guy who wrote the, the message. He says, God can't fit into our plans. We have to fit into his. We can't use God. He's not a tool or an appliance or a credit card. Holy is the word that sets God apart. And above our attempts to, 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 to put him into our wish fulfillment fantasies or our utopian schemes for making our mark in the world. Holy means that, that God is alive on God's terms in a way that exceeds anything I can have experienced or that I can imagine. Holy refers to a life, and it's God's life, burning with like this intense purity that transforms everything it touches into itself. God is so transcendently different, and he calls me to follow him. And the more that I follow him, the more I lose myself in him. I'm still me, but, but I st- the old me starts burning away. The old me starts changing. And gradually, hopefully, I can see better. Gradually, hopefully, my eyes start to change. And I start to see this world like he sees it. And I start to think about this place like he thinks about it. There's a thing uh, psychiatrists talk about called a motivated perception. A motivated perception is this notion that I often will see what I want to see. Right? They've done experiments on it. The first one that was recorded like in a psychology journal was a Princeton-Dartmouth football game in, in 1951, but they could have done it on the Purdue IU game or, or any game where there's passionate fan bases. And, and they asked the different fan bases, they get like 10 IU fans and 10 Purdue fans, they have them watch the game and say, we want you to write down every time you think the referee misses a call. How do you think that goes? Who, how, how do you think the IU fans see that game? How do you think the Purdue fans see that game, right? And then they're watching the same game, we just want you to write down every time you see the referee miss a call. Well, the IU fans think they were cheated. You know, that guy called all the game for Purdue. But you know what the Purdue fans think? They were cheated. That guy called all the games for IU. I mean, and, and they're watching the same game. But you pick out the things in that game that you want to see. It's, it's called motivated uh, perception. It's, uh, it's, uh, there was an internet thing a couple years ago where, where, where people popped this on the deal. And some people look at this lady in the dress and they see a, w- a woman wearing white and gold. And some people look at the dress and they see her wearing blue and black. Is it white and gold? Blue or black? Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. And, 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 and the issue is your motivated perception. If you see that lady in your head standing in a shadow, then you see white and gold. If you see that lady in your head just standing in front of you, not in a shadow, then you see blue and black. And it just depends on what you perceive ahead of time. Uh, this one's one of those deals. Uh, which, which of those orange circles is bigger? Well, they're both the same. They're exactly the same. Now, even after I tell you they're exactly the same, which one looks bigger? <laughs> Right? Even though you know it, you can't get it out of your head, right? The, the, you're, you're, and, and, and it's a good thing. Your brain uh, is so powerful, it, it, it eliminates things that are unnecessary for you to think about. And, and it just makes sense that the one thing is small compared to the other stuff, and the one thing is big compared to the other stuff. So you just naturally make the connection in your head that what you're looking at. There was a thing, it's called the Ebbinghaus illusion, where they asked people uh, to look at pictures and pick out the first thing they see. Do you see a sea animal or a farm animal? Do you see a sea animal or a farm animal? And if they would tell people, 
for all the farm animals you see, you get how many dollars? You get, you get money. You know, uh, then people would see more farm animals. With some of the, one of the pictures was this. Do you see a farm animal there or a sea animal? The ones who were looking for farm animals saw a horse, and the ones who were looking for sea animals usually saw a seal. Uh, and it just depends what you're looking for. Whatever you're looking for, that's what you'd see, right? Whatever it was you were wanting to see, that's what you would see. Our brains are powerful, and here's the hard part for us. Comfort normally wins for us. What's going to make me the most comfortable? What's going to make me the most happy in this moment? That's what our brains want to see. And Jesus calls us to something bigger than that. He calls us to something harder than that. And so, and so when you look at it, you can hear what Jesus is telling you to do. You just can't see it. A couple of weeks ago, we did this marriage retreat, and I don't know, I know everybody's different, and I know I have a, it's like an ADHD thing, and I know I have that, and I, and I, it's just always been there, it's always been something I've dealt with, but it's like, it's, it's like I'll get something in my head, and it just turns around and around and around in my head, I can't get it out. And I'm just, I'm just rethinking it and rethinking it and rethinking it, which makes me a miserable person to debate with because I, I get something in my head and I can't get it out. And we're, we're in this class, and, the, and, the, and the, the speaker is a guy named Paul David Tripp. He's actually the guy who wrote the devotional that we're, we're giving out. And, 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 and this Paul David Tripp, he, he mentions in the middle how we can be blind in our marriages. And here's the illustration, he says. He says a husband and a wife are arguing, and she tells him, you know, you always do whatever. So imagine whatever argument you've ever had with your, with your wife and her husband, and you can imagine what the argument, you know, you always do this, or you're just like this other person, you always do that, or you never do that, or it's one of those kind of arguments. And, and as she's saying this thing to him, he's thinking, he's thinking, uh, well, that's crazy, I don't do that. And, and not just thinking that, but he's thinking, you don't know me as well as I know me, you don't, know, you don't know my heart and my mind as well as I know my heart and mind, so you're wrong. When you're saying this thing, you're wrong, because I know me better than anybody else. But, but, but the problem is, as it regards sin, the, the, the corrupt things we do, the sin in our lives, we don't see ourselves that clearly. If, if, if Tom and I were workers on something, or if Chelsea and I were workers on something, we were working in the same office, and we had to bounce off of each other every day, I would pretty quickly become aware of what his sin is, or her sin. I'd, be, I'd start to pick little things out that bug me about the other person. Well, I don't know why they do that, or I wish they would pay attention to this thing. And even if I like them, you know, it's not, it's not, that, it's not like, like, like I hate you now, it's not that. Even if like, we're friends, I'll still see with them the things they're doing wrong. It's, it's quick, right? You don't, you don't mean to do it. You just, you just do it. It's, 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 we do that with each other. But I don't see my own sin. I see what they're doing real quick, but I don't see what I'm doing. Like if you have 10 people, like kids in a classroom or 10 people in an office, and one of those people, uh, all the rest of them kind of talk about them because they're just a little too loud or they're a little too obnoxious or they're a little too nosy or they're a little too whatever. There's something, right? And there's 10 people in the classroom or there's 10 people in the office and they all kind of murmur about the one. Who's the only person who doesn't know what's going on? It's the one, right? They can tell people are distancing them from them. They can feel that. They just don't know why. 
They can't even imagine. They don't have any idea why they're distancing them. They have no idea why that's happening. They can feel it, but they don't understand it. They don't see it. And I've been that one sometimes, and you have too, and, 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 it, and you, you don't see what you're doing. You can see what everybody else is doing. You don't see what you're so, so in this story, then again, husband and wife, you always do that. You never do that. And he thinks, well, you don't know anything. I know myself better than you do. Well, he may not on this issue. Now, if we were talking about like an ob- objective fact, like uh, what was Pete Rose's batting average in 78? Well, then, yeah, there's a right or wrong there. But, but, if, but if we're talking about, about your sin, there's, you don't see it, right? You don't even know you do it. So it's really possible that when your husband or wife is saying that stuff to you, they actually know you better than you know yourself because they can see it and you don't. You're, you're, you're blind to it. You need Jesus to work on your eyes. You, you can't pick it out. And the, and the worst part about our sin is it kind of makes us arrogant. Not only can we not see ourselves, but, we, but, we're, we're, but we're certain that we can. We're like the worst type of blind. You know, we're flailing around and stumbling around, but we're convinced we know exactly where we're going. We're convinced we know exactly what we're doing. Leave me alone. I got this. I'm not going to talk about this anymore with you. This conversation is closed. We're just, I mean, I've got this. And by the way, here's what I'm saying this to you. I can think of times when I've said things very similar to this to Julia or to other people. Do you know where we're going? I've got this. I'm fine. I've been here before. And I'm just flailing around. And I don't even know that I'm blind. But I'm confident that I'm doing fine. And Jesus calls us into something else. This motivated uh, perception that we have, right? Part of getting past this is realizing our weakness. It's realizing that we can't see it all. And Jesus may have touched your eyes a little bit, you know, when you, were, when you became a Christian and, and it opened your eyes to the idea, but, but you still don't see it clearly, not like you need to. You understand who Jesus is, but you don't yet understand who you're supposed to be. You understand part of the plan, just not all the plan. Now last week, so that's one thing that's been in my head, just, just, just like a splinter in the back of my head, that's this blindness thing. The other thing, and it's, it's, this is a much smaller conversation, that's kind of been in there, is Josh said something last week, and he was preaching, did a real good job with the preaching, but he said something in the, in the middle of it about, about how we need to rest, and then here's two or three things we could do to help us get through that. And I could imagine somebody coming to church who needs to rest really badly, and, and, and they hear him say it, and he says, okay, here's what you got to do. It's like, oh, great, one more thing. I'm already tired. Now one more thing I've got to do. And I think it'd be easy to do that on this, right? Like I'm saying, okay, maybe this is something you struggle with, but, but you don't have to struggle. Here's some things you could do to get through it. And it'd be possible to hear that and think, oh, great. Oh, great, one more thing that I've got to do. But you shouldn't think of it like that. If a person was out there drowning and I said, grab the float, they wouldn't think, oh, great, one more thing. Here I'm out here drowning, now I've got to grab a float. You wouldn't do that, right? Uh, 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 we had our grandkids uh, in uh, for a large part of the weekend, and, and one of them's hitting my foot with a toy hammer. Bang, 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 bang. I mean, it's starting to kind of bother me. It's starting to hurt just a little bit, but I wouldn't think to myself, oh, great, now I've got to grab the hammer. I wouldn't think that. 
I mean, it wouldn't, even, it wouldn't even occur to me to think it's one more thing to do. It just makes sense, right? I'm tired of that happening, so I'll just take that away. And yeah, it does take a little bit of effort, but just a little bit. And, then I, and again, you won't necessarily see it right off because we have this uh, motivated perception. Our main thing is, what's the easiest thing right now? But if you'll make an effort to do these two or three things, spiritually speaking, it's going to take your life where you want to go. And if you'll do these two or three steps, it's going to be fuel to your soul to help you become the Christian that God wants you to be. And there are definitely things that he wants you to be. It wasn't his plan that you would just kind of float through life. He wants you to be world changers. And whether that world is just your house or your block or your town, I don't know. But he wants you to be world changers where you're at. And so uh, I want to challenge you real hard to think about doing uh, these three things. If you want to see better, uh, these three things. And, and, and if we're being completely transparent here, to me, these are things that Christians do. If these are things that you don't do and are not willing to do, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. I, I don't have enough power and privilege to say that. How do I know? But I can tell you for sure you're not acting like a Christian acts. These are things that Christians do. And if you really want your soul to be fueled up, this is what you have to learn how to, to do. Now, the first thing is you have to learn how to feed yourself. And that just means every day digging into God. That's all it means. Every day you take a little bit of time to, to dig into God. And, and normally that's done by reading and praying. It can be done with a long walk. It can be done with some listening to some worship music. There's lots of ways to get it done, but it's, it's normally done by reading and, and praying, reading your Bible and just praying. And you might think, well, I'm no good at praying. Well, you know, join the club. There's a lot of guys who aren't that good at it. And so your prayers at first may be pretty simple, but, but God says, if you don't come to me like a child, it's not worth coming to me at all. So just come like a child then. Come real humble, and if your prayers the first uh, couple of weeks are... Uh, God, forgive me of my sins. Help me do the right things. Help me be better around here. If that's your whole prayer, then start there. And sometimes those are the prayers that really are life-changing prayers. On the reading thing, if, you, if you're not really a person who likes to read uh, anything, you know, a long Sports Illustrated article is a, is a push for you, uh, that's okay. Start with something small. If you can't think of any place to start, start in the book of Mark and just try to read one chapter a week. And, or one chapter a day, one chapter a week's priest. We can do one, one, well, I, one chapter a week, I don't care. I do one week, just, just a little bit every day, right? Just a little bit every day. And, and you may have to budget, you're probably, probably going to have to budget some time for it. You're going to say, okay, every day at this time, I'm going to try to do this. And you may miss occasionally. I mean, that, that's okay. But, but, but you make an effort that you're going to do this thing. And if you will do this thing, I tell you, before too long, you'll start to feel it. Um, you'll start to change. It won't be immediate. It's like every other kind of exercise. The first day or two, it may just hurt and stretch you, but if you'll stick with it, um, it'll make you better. One of the saddest things to me in my ministry, in ministry to all together, is when a person comes to me and says, we're going to a different church, we're just not getting fed here. Or if they come to me from another church and say, we were at this other church, now we're coming here, we just weren't getting fed. You don't want to leave getting fed up to somebody else. 
You're adults. You have to learn how to feed yourselves. Second thing, build relationships. Again, because you're spiritually blind to your own sin, and I don't know that we ever totally get over that, because you just don't see your own stuff, you need to be bouncing off of some other people. Now, this is one way to do it, all coming here together. It's the least effective way to do it, but it is one way to do it. Because unless I can tell from the back of the person's head in front of me what they're going through, I probably am not going to bring something up, right? Unless I can just tell by looking at their ears. You know, they've had a hard week. Unless I can just tell that, I'm probably not going to bring something up. The more effective ways to do it are, are the, the, the small groups or, the, or just getting together for lunch, with somebody and on on purpose talk about Jesus on purpose talk about church on purpose talk about what God's doing in your life I mean just it doesn't have to be something something intense but it has to be something I mean you you see bouncing off on one another one of the saddest parts about this COVID thing to me is is how many people uh, just didn't have any great Christian relationships when it happened And, and maybe didn't even know they didn't again that goes to that blind thing right they may have thought that they were completely connected you know to church completely locked in there that's also another sad thing that happens sometimes every so often I'll have someone call and they'll say uh, we're not coming back to Mount Pleasant why well I I missed five weeks and no one called no one cared and that is sad and that's a reflection on all of us whenever that happens and on me most of all so I don't want to deny that at all that's true and I need to get better about that, and that's, that's true. But isn't it amazing that you could miss for five or six weeks and nobody noticed? <laughs> isn't that weird? I mean, as a Christian, isn't that strange? I mean, I mean, part of the deal here is that you should have people building into you, but you don't see it, right? You assume because you were in the pew, they saw you, and you saw them, and so we saw each other, and so we're good. And it's just blind. It, it, it's just blind. And, it, and it's not enough. It's, it's not enough to survive the really awful stuff that happens to all of us. It, it's, it's not enough. So you need to build on this thing. And if you can't think of how to get started, I can help you with that. I, I can. Um, I can help you find groups to get involved in. I can try to put you with other people that, that, are, that are close to your uh, interests or, or, you know, I'm not like eHarmony, but I can help you with this thing. I can. I promise I can. And, and you, should, you should move into this thing. <laughs> not at all like eHarmony. It'd be a whole other sermon. Um, that's going to turn in my head all week long, too, and I'm sorry about that. Um, and then the third thing, uh, leverage your resources. Uh, God has given you certain things. Uh, he's given you a, a, a family friends, uh, resources, money, uh, property, intellect, certain gifts and talents. He's given you certain things he's not given anybody else. No one has your experiences, right? And, he, and it's, it's all a gift. It's all a gift. Every, every day you get up again and breathe again, it's a gift. And God's given all that to you. And you only have a very short amount of time in this world. I had a surgery a few months ago, and they came in, and they tell me, you got 3% chance of this, or 2% chance of this, got a 1% chance of dying. And it was shocked me. 
you know? Like I went in there thinking I had a 0% chance of dying today, and now I find out I got a 1% chance. And the difference between 0% and 1% isn't that big, but it's huge, right? But the, but the truth is, I never had a 0% chance of not dying today. I never had that. I don't know why I thought it did. Well, I know why I thought it did. I was blind. There's this weird thing about your life, and you don't ever think that this could end. Somebody as awesome as you, it's just going to go on and on and on. But it won't go on and on and on. And sooner or later, it's going to stop. And so what I should do with the limited time that I have here is leverage those things that I have to make God as famous as he can be. Leverage those things that I have to help people build more and more relationships. Leverage those things I have to not only feed myself, but to try to feed other people. I mean, not just to know Christ, but to make him known. Not just to love one another, but to help others love one another. And not just to serve the world, but to make this world a better place. And that's what God's called us to do. And when I make a decision to do those things and to really throw myself into it, gradually, my eyes start to open. And the old me and the priorities that the old me had aren't the same priorities that I have anymore. I just don't care about some of the things I used to care about. I just don't get as mean about some of the things I used to get mean about. God's changing my heart. And I don't yet pretend that I've got crystal clear vision about myself or anybody else. That's why I don't want to be too judgmental of anybody else. I don't know what you're going through. But I know that God has a plan for your life. I know there are certain things that God wants you to do that no one else can do. And I know that there's no better day to get started with that thing than today. So I'm going to have the band come back up. And if any of you need to make any sort of a decision today about God, about where you stand with God, about where you move forward out of this place with God, take advantage of this moment. Take advantage of this time to come up here and, and to pray. And if you don't know what to pray, you can ask the guys on both sides here, help me, just pray for me, and they'll pray for you. And if, they, if you have any sort of decision you want to make, they can walk you through what you need to do next. There's people right over here, and uh, here in a minute, over here. There's Jamie coming around, I see him. Uh, and you can pray with those guys. Let me pray with you right now, then I will sing a, a song here to, to finish up. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this chance to be together. And I do pray, God, for the ones who are here. And if there's anybody here, God, who needs uh, to feel your spirit and your presence and your grace bigger in their life, then I just pray that you, you give them the courage to take advantage of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand up? Mm-hmm.